4: Doughboy started in 2015. On the podcast, hosts Nick Weiger and Mike Mitchell talk about chain restaurants, but they also talk about anything and everything they feel like, and they are joined by famous, often funny guests. It's kind of a food podcast, kind of a comedy podcast, and it's a whole lot of fun to listen to. And apparently, Nick has a ska past. So we invited him on the show to discuss his former ska band and to talk about our favorite restaurant of all time. Aaron, what's your favorite chain restaurant? Well, I'm going to say that it's not my favorite food, but the one I visit the most is Panera. And Mm. the reason is twofold. I like their booths, and I have a Sip Club membership. So for a low Annual fee, I get free coffee every day. Ooh.
5: Yeah. So that's not an ad. I'm not, we're not paid by Panera, by the way. I should say that. Hey, they can advertise with us if they want, though. Yes, they can. We'll also accept gift cards. I would like my gift cards and the the restaurant that I like is Taco Bell. Why? Kind of the same reason. Because it's cheap. You can get a decent amount of food. And they serve Baja Blast. This is also our pitch to be on Doughboys. I think a good place to start is just jumping
4: right into my other brother, Daryl.
6: Oh, sure. Yeah.
4: I mean, let's go for it. Why don't you tell people what that is?
6: Yes. Okay. So, my other brother, Daryl, was a ska punk band based in Orange County that was around in the 90s, and the name of the band is a reference to a sitcom, uh, one of Bob Newhart's sitcoms, and your younger listeners may not know who Bob Newhart is, but he was like a huge comedy star who had multiple eponymous sitcoms. I think he had he had the, the Bob Newhart show, and then he had Newhart, and then he had Bob. Um, and they were all like hits to various degrees. On one of the shows, I think it was Newhart, they, he managed like a bed and breakfast and... There was a guy. There was like some Hicks, and one of them was like, "Hi, I'm Daryl, and I'm I'm Daryl, and I'm his brother Daryl, and I'm his other brother Daryl." And so that's what it was a reference to. So yeah, I, I forget exactly how I I got connected with them, but I think it was through I you know so I played saxophone uh, among other woodwinds in, in my uh, my high school music ensembles and knew a number of members of ska punk bands and. Uh, it was the era when if you played a, a woodwind or you played a brass instrument, you could like be in a band. And for a while it was like, you'd like, oh, you got to play guitar or drums or bass, you know, or keyboards. You got to play, play like a cool instrument. But now it was like, oh, you can play an instrument that's like in the marching band. And there's space for you to be in a like, like, you know, like a a, a band of like like a a cool band, a band that people would be like, I'm gonna go to their concerts and go to their shows and uh, buy their records. So I knew a number of people who were in various bands, and they connected me with the front man of my other brother, Daryl. At the time, I was 15 years old. And they were all like either, you know, like, like much older, like older teens or in their twenties. So I was like very much like the young person in the group. And then I was around with them for, you know, some time. I want to say like just over a year was my tenure with them before I finally got burned out and asked to leave.
4: So they must've been, uh, they must've been hard up for sax players then if they were like asking the 15 year old to join the band. Ouch. (laughs) (laughs)
6: <laughs> <laughs> i think i was pretty pretty good on the sacks. you had a reputation around town yeah no like they, they're like look we need someone who can play a little bit i i could i could play pretty well and i think that was also like okay so here's the other thing i i went to long beach poly high school and my initial connection to celebrity and honestly the the closest the most adjacent thing that i had to stardom um until like my mid twenties and I got, you know, or late twenties when I got more involved in like the LA comedy scene and started mowing some more famous people is, uh, I went to high school with, uh, Tavis Wirtz and, um, uh, and Danny Regan, who that, if you don't recognize the names, they were orig- the original trumpet and trombone player for real big fish. And they were in a mm-hmm. similar situation where they were in high school uh they were like sophomores or juniors in high school and then the 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 you know the uh uh the frontman rhythm section of that band were a lot older and they were looking for horn players and found these guys i think through a classified ad so and they were you know in the band and they thrived and the band was very successful and they were like just out of high school when they had their the big album uh, turn the radio off so i think there was a kind of a precedent for like okay we can find some horn players you know, not through normal channels or we can like maybe go to some younger people and they can sort of fit into an ensemble because I I knew a number of people who are kind of like my age who are playing with older dudes. Mm,
4: Yeah, yeah. I guess it makes sense because the high school band, there's just like a plethora of horn players. So and it's an easy target to to just be like, oh, there they are right there.
6: Yeah, 100%. I I think it was just, yeah, it was it was a fertile recruiting ground. And also like, I don't know, you're 15 you're around a 20 year old that seems impossibly old and like so cool and like these dudes were like older than my older brother so i was just like like oh wow i'm around adults you know <laughs> uh and which is uh, which is in, in wild in hindsight but like that's how i perceived it at the time and that was part of the appeal and i think also i just like oh it would be cool to be in a ska band because i like the music
4: so you you had a history uh playing uh other woodwinds like oboe and clarinet and then you eventually graduated to the saxophone
6: yeah i mean i'll flip the order a little bit i i started on clarinet and then i played saxophone uh and then I, I the the third instrument i played was not the oboe but the other double reed it's it's the the it's it's bigger brother the bassoon so i played bassoon after that mm. and yeah, but by I started clarinet and then saxophone was second. And my older brother played saxophone, so I kind of got his hand me down alto sax.
4: What was the horn section in uh, my other brother Daryl? There was you on alto sax, and then what were the other horns?
6: Yeah, there was an, there were two sax players, which I liked. There was an alto sax and a tenor sax. I, I you know I like I like having another sax player because you know you can kind of you, you can harmonize and getting those two different tonalities is like I, I don't know that 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 appealed to me. Uh, yeah. And then we had a trombone player. And the trombone player was kind of in and out. So it was kind of like basically the three of us. But I think the trombone player was like a little older and a little bit more flaky. Although he was also the guy who wrote the horn lines. So he was like a little bit more of a, an, an essential member, too. So maybe he had a little bit more leeway. I don't know. It, it, it was it was a weird like the lineup shifted a few times in my tenure. And then it, it was always kind of a little unsettled.
4: So one day uh, you just decide you're done with the ska band.
6: Yeah, honestly, like this dude, the dude called me. The front man called me up to pre- like schedule practice, and I was just like, you know. And this is this is kind of what I do in life. Is just I reach a point where I'm just sort of like that chapter is closed, mm. and I, I had been thinking about it. And I was just like, first off, so I lived in uh, Lakewood, California, which is next to Long Beach. It's in L.A. County. Orange County is significantly South, like it's next to LA County, but it was like, you know, if I was going to practice, I'd be, it'd be like 40 minutes and I didn't drive. I was 15. So like, that was a huge pain in the ass. I I either have to get a ride from like the keyboard player or like get my, you know, my parents or my brother to drive me down there. Uh, and then, and I, I had found myself in a number of situations where I was like relatively stranded and I was just sort of like beholden to one of them to give me a ride back up. Uh, to my hometown. So, like, there were all sorts of like logistical inconveniences. But then also, like, I just didn't really like love being in the band in the way I thought I would. Uh, and so yeah, the guy called me up. He was like, "Hey, we're gonna practice," and I was like, uh, "I can't make it." You know, honestly, I don't want to be in the band anymore. He was like, "What?" He was like, "Yeah, I just don't want to <laughs> be in the band anymore." But thanks though. he's like, "What is something wrong?" And I was like, "No, nah, I just don't want to do it anymore." He's like, "I mean, are, I make okay." I mean, like, wait, are you sure? I was like, "Yeah, I think I'm done." I was like, all right. And he was like confused. I guess because it was weird. Uh, and then that was basically it. And then he ran into that guy just like randomly in like a diner like a year later, and he was just like, hey, I was like, hey man, He's like he was like an open door sort of thing. Like, you can come back, you know, because they, they like me. But I just was like, eh, I'm kind of fucking done. I don't know.
5: Do you ever miss it? Yeah.
6: No, I mean, like, I don't <laughs> know. I, I it was a weird thing to do. It it, it was I, I understand why I did it as at the time, but like I honestly should have been like making my own music or something, or I should have been like, it like started my own band. I shouldn't have tried to like join some other band and done their stuff. Cause I just wasn't going to be as interested in it, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think the other aspect was that like, I jumped at the initial premise of like, Oh wow. I get to be in a band with older kid with like with older, like not just kids, like guys, like older dudes, like adults. And that seems cool. And then, I kind of wasn't into the music all that much. Like I kind of had, there was some Scott punk I liked and some I did, some I didn't. And this was more Mm. the one that was like, I just wasn't as into their music. And then also I think just like the, again, the, the strain of having to get all, all the way down to orange County and hang out with these dudes who were like, getting high and getting drunk instead of practicing when I like, I didn't do either of those things. Um, And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I just was less into it than I expected.
5: What ska punk bands were you into? And then which ones were you not into?
6: So, okay. So I, I really liked the, I mentioned the aforementioned real big fish was kind of like my entry point to it. And I think for a lot of people at our high school and in the long beach area in general, that was like kind of their way in because, they knew, or they either knew Tavis and Danny personally, uh, as I did, or they knew of them. Uh, Tavis's younger brother Tavis remains a friend, but Tavis's younger brother Brandon uh, was a very good friend of mine in high school, and we're still we're still in touch. Uh, we're still friends, and so like I, I think that was probably that was my initial way in, and I was like listening to their music before, you know before they had their breakthrough record. And so it was like, kind of like, like, even though I had nothing to do with it, it's just sort of like when they kind of broke through and they kind they were on MTV or whatever, I kind of felt like I had like some personal connection to it. So that was one Uh, early, no doubt. And I think people like, but I I think I want to say people not certainly not your audience, your audience is going to be keenly aware of this, but like I had like a, you know, like no, but no doubt records and listen, no doubt before tragic kingdom. And they were much more just like in a straight ska direction. Uh, I like this band, uh, Let's Go Bowling. I don't know if you've covered mm-hmm. them, um, and they're a little bit less ska punk, a little bit more like you know, uh, it, a little bit more. I, I'm, you, you probably are better at the taxonomical classifications of ska <laughs> genres, uh, but they're it's
4: kind of in the two-tone. Exactly, variety. a little more two-tone.
6: Yeah. Yes, that's that's the word I was looking for. Uh, and then um, there was a, a, a uh, let's see, Save Ferris uh, was was big at the mm-hmm. time. Uh, what else? Oh, the Aquabats! That was a big thing. That was another band where was like I felt like I saw them early, and they were like, "That's the funny band that dresses up in costumes." And then, like ten years later, they had like a show on Nickelodeon or whatever.
4: Okay, so what scubbins did you not like?
6: Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to. You know, I don't want to go after anyone in particular. I don't. I, I, I. I'm just gonna say that, like,
5: hey, it's just it's your personal taste. It's fine.
6: No, I'm. I'm just gonna say that, like. I feel like the stuff that was a little bit less... I really like stuff that forwarded, and this was because of my own, uh, you know, what what music, I like what instruments I played. I really like the stuff that put the, the horn section more in the forefront, and
3: mm-hmm. I feel like
6: there was a lot of stuff that was like a little bit more, uh, like heavily leaned more on the punk side of the ska punk spectrum, mm-hmm. and ma- maybe mm-hmm. backgrounded the horns a little bit, maybe mixed the horns a little bit less, maybe had fewer horn lines, maybe wouldn't have the horns, you know, uh hitting in the chorus or or uh, uh playing the offbeats along with the uh the guitar at times. I was just like like you know I, I, any of that stuff I was just a little bit less into. All right.
5: See I'm exactly the opposite. I, I that's my stuff that I like.
6: Well there you go. <laughs> ska is look, ska is not a monolith.
5: Absolutely. Yeah. Everybody's gotta find their own their own thing they like within it.
4: I was uh, I found an old like message board uh online and someone was asking a question. It was something like, "What are some bands like Real Big Fish from Orange County that I could not, uh, you know, other new bands for me to discover?" And uh, one person's response was, "My superhero! Oh yeah, Jeffrey's fan club.
6: Okay, and
4: my other brother Daryl.
6: That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never track. I never tracked what that what happened after." I my I, I was with them. I was you know I never like was on a record or anything. I just played some, played shows with them.
5: Oh, never even never
4: got to record with them.
6: No, we know not in that not in the time I was in the band.
4: Hmm. What kind of shows did you play? Did you do you remember any uh, like bands you played with or anything?
6: Um, let's see. There was a band that was called uh, Pocket Lent yep. that uh, that played with one of us. That was a pretty you know the uh, that was like a, a like a more of a funk band. But they were kind of like in that ska sort of world, I think, because they had some overlapping personnel with some ska bands, um, some some guys who later played with uh, other acts and played with the you know like like the Long Beach Dub All Stars and what have you. Uh, that's one band that I can remember. But yeah, it wasn't ever like on bills with like you know, like. MXPX or anything. Like, not, there was, it wasn't ever like, like, oh, some big, some big well known uh, quantity we opened for. It was a pretty, like, I, I remember it being a little bit more of a rinky dink kind of outlet. But that said, the, at least in the time I was in there, the comparison to Real Big Fish makes sense because that was clearly kind of what they were, that sort of OC Scott punk vibe. Like, that, that, that was, they were very much right in that wheelhouse and probably, uh, you know, uh, biting off of them a little bit. Did you ever get to open for Real Big Fish? No. Huh. I mean, like, I went to a bunch of Real Big Fish shows, but, like, our, no, we never we never played on a bill with them. Or maybe we did. I don't remember, honestly. I think we might have, actually. <laughs> but it was, like, a weird show. It was, like, a weird outdoor show. Okay. Yeah. But I honestly, that, like, so much of this is so hazy. Like, the main thing I remember with them is, like, it was the first time I ever like saw weed. You know what I mean? Like that, like that's the stuff that sticks out to me (laughs) or the time the dude, like the fucking, the trombone player was giving me a ride home, like drank a whole 40. And then while we were hanging out, like his, at his buddy's trailer. And then like, I was like, okay, so I'm just going to be a passenger seat for this dude who's drunk driving. And I have no other way to get home. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the sort of shit that sticks out in my mind. Yeah, Fun stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
5: In defensive SCA will return in a moment. When was the last time you played saxophone?
6: Great question. I was thinking about that recently. Is like because I have it. I still have a saxophone, but I don't think I've played it since I was. I think I think again. You know, like I'm I'm I will go, get to moments in my life where I'm just like that chapter is closed. Yeah. And I think when I was done with high school, I was like, you know, I'm just not going to play music anymore. Uh, and I don't think I've I've dicked around with any of my instruments since then. Uh, I did end up playing. Uh, sup- by surprise, I was at a, my, my podcast, Doughboys. we did a live show in Colorado. Uh, weirdly in hindsight, it was like, it was in Denver and it was the, basically the night that COVID went, went like, you know, <laughs> went worldwide. It was the night that, yeah. uh, the NBA season was canceled and Tom Hanks, uh, said that he had COVID, uh, and we were doing a live show that same night. I made the announcement of the NBA cast, uh, cancellation to gas from the audience, uh, but in this context, my co-host Mitch had coordinated with a fan who was a bassoon player and brought her bassoon on stage. And I was basically like, hey, you want to play this? And I, had, I hadn't played a bassoon like fucking however long, 20 years. And I was still able to play it, which I was surprised by. So, yeah, but but that was a long rambling response to your your question, which was the last time I played saxophone. I think it was honestly I was 18 or 19.
5: Okay. And then when you played that bas- bassoon, had she also played it that night?
6: <laughs> Good question. Just because I mean,
5: <laughs> that would have given me like the heebie-jeebies if I put my mouth on an instrument right after somebody.
6: Right. In any like in in a normal context, it would have been like different. But like like no and and so at the time I wasn't even thinking about it. But like thinking back to the, like, okay, this was like you know, this was a super spreader event by accident. And this was like day zero of the COVID pandemic, uh, in, in America. Like it was kind of, kind of insane that I just played someone else's woodwind (laughs) instrument, like put your mouth up on, uh, she did provide a read, like, you know, with, with you have to at any one of the woodwind instrument, you need a, you need a read. And so I don't know if it was used or not.
5: All right. Well, I mean, you, you didn't come down with COVID symptoms right after, right?
6: Uh, no. Well, then I think you were good. I think it was, I, no, I, I think it was okay. Yeah.
4: <laughs> did you have any, like, like venues that you played regularly with the band? Like, did they have their local spots?
6: Man, I can't remember any <laughs> of that stuff. It was so long ago. Like, I remember there was a venue called Spaceland, but I don't know, is that in LA or is that in... Was that in Long Beach or Orange County? Possibly. Oh, I don't. Know. I've never heard of SpaceLand. Yeah, I think I think there was a SpaceLand at a certain point. That's the only th- thing I can remember, and I have no idea what it was. Uh, if it was even, if it's even a real memory. What about
5: public storage and or chain reaction?
6: I don't remember either of those. Okay. But if they were places that had Scott Punk shows, I probably was at them at some point.
5: It was a space in Anaheim. It went. It was the same space, but it went by two different names depending on when you went there.
6: Yeah, it's totally possible cuz you know, I would see I would just go see shows all the time. I think I would never do now. Like we would go to we go see punk shows, we'd just go see ska shows. Uh we would go we used to go every week. We'd go to this church that hosted a it was like a it was like a youth pastor and um and like he was trying to connect to kids and so like the like a youth pastor would be up there and they would have a they would have a punk band play and then he'd like give a sermon and and so we go, it was like a way to like see punk bands for free. Yeah. Uh, and it also like felt kind of underground because you were like sitting in the pews of a church. And then the dude would like preach you afterwards. Uh, but then he figured out at a certain point that like people would just leave after the band. So we moved his sermon to first. Yeah. And so you'd have to like watch <laughs> the guy do the sermon as a price for pl- for seeing the band. And sometimes the band was a band you knew, but other times you'd just be like, I don't know, I'll just see this punk band. I don't know who's playing. Uh, and then, so you'd sometimes run into where the guy would be like, he'd do a sermon, and then the band would start to play. But then the band would be like, uh, "And anyway, uh, before we start our set, we just want to uh, uh, dedicate uh, this to uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." You're like, ah, oh, it's a Christian <laughs> punk band. Oh my God! You know, and they, you'd have those nights where you'd be like, just kind of trapped with. Uh, Christian indoctrination the whole time, yeah. but it was, but like anyway that that I would go to all sort I would just go to shows all the time, and so I'm sure I I know some of these venues if I don't remember the name specifically.
5: So I just looked up Spaceland. It was in uh, Silver Lake from 1995 to
6: 2011. Then that's not what I'm thinking of. Oh. Although I've seen shows at <laughs> Spaceland, but that was not what I was thinking of.
5: <laughs>
4: okay, you're friends with Jordan Morris, right?
6: Yeah, I know Jordan well, good friend.
4: So he grew up going to the church ska and punk shows. I assume you guys did not know each other at the time.
6: Definitely did not, and we're slightly different in age. Like we're we're not the exact same year in school, so it's it's just possible mm-hmm. we never crossed paths. But yeah, that was a real thing.
4: Yeah, yeah. Especially, it sounds like I hear about it more from Southern California than anywhere else. The uh, church scene.
6: Well, I think there's a big. I think people don't realize how. Maybe they do. Maybe it's gotten enough through pop culture now. But I, I think people think of of and you run into this both as as californians and understanding that like there's so much of california that's just like red and people center on the mm-hmm. the, the the blue counties that are around the major cities but it's like it, so much of orange county is so conservative and really really christian and so i think that kind of plays into Yeah, I I think that becomes a nexus where it's either like these are just Christian acts or whether they're like, okay, well, this can be a way to kind of this can be our honeypot to try to get more kids to come to our church, uh, whether that's successful or not. I had some friends who had a funk band. And they were playing a, what they didn't know was a Christian festival. Like they were playing, like just doing a set, doing, you know, they're just playing their, their normal set there. And they got uh, three songs into there. they just been booked for this thing. And they got three songs into their set. They're just going like, you know,
3: get your funk on,
6: you know, just like whatever, like their normal funk songs are. Uh, And they got the plug pulled on them. And they were like, what's going on? And uh, the, whoever was booking it came up to them and was like, you guys are in three songs. You haven't said anything about Jesus. Like, Get out of here. Like kick them out all mad.
5: <laughs> hey, man, funk, funk is just a metaphor for Jesus.
6: It's true. Yeah.
4: <laughs> there was like up here, there was like a rinky dink venue, like in uh, Campbell, I think, called uh, the Chemical yep. Free Zone. That was like a church place. Wow. It's a cool name. But it was it was tiny, like from the churches that I hear about down there don't sound tiny. And I like the I was watching a documentary on tooth and nail, and the whole scene like that they built off of came from the church basement shows like hardcore, then like punk and scon, and like supertones, all that like really came from that Southern California, mostly Orange County scene.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there the, the shows I was seeing weren't at like mega churches. They weren't at these big venues, but th- those do exist. There are like the, what's the one I'm trying to remember? The Crystal Cathedral, I think, is the big one. That that was like at least the big one in like the 90s that was uh, a, a, like kind of an Orange County uh, a, a Mecca for uh, for evangelicals. Um, although evangelicals are not like me calling it Mecca. Uh, and uh, it was a, there were those sorts of, <laughs> Those places absolutely exist. Those big ass churches that just packed them in. And again, people think of that and they, they think of like, you know, they're thinking of Joel Osteen or whatever. They're thinking of like Texas and they're thinking of, of Kentucky and, and they're thinking of the middle of the country, but like, no, that stuff exists in California.
4: Oh yeah. I know. It's like, like uh, to further your point, it's like, I live in Sacramento and if you start heading North at a certain point, you're going to hit the state of Jefferson. Oh Yeah which is very very trumpy california but they deny californianship yeah. essentially
6: exactly it's like a it's like a you know they they're trying to secede from california and they I read this thing once where it was like talking about how people from jefferson don't consider like the bay area to be northern california like they're that <laughs> like which is crazy to think about geographically but like that's just like in their head like no we're true northern california uh there's i always just remember driving up from la to san francisco which is a drive i've made a, a number of times and i think is really instructive for anyone who wants to just like understand california and isn't from here just drive between those two big ba- those two cities and see what's between them yep. um because you'll drive through just like you know, like the acres and acres of like pastures and, you know, feed lots. And, uh, you'll drive through, you'll drive by like a bunch of farmers that have signs posted outside of their ranches that just say like, uh, you know, they're, they're just saying like impeach Pelosi or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a completely different scene.
4: Yeah. There's, um, I like to go up to Shasta sometimes. And there's like, a there's like some small cities you get gas at. And like, there's one, one that I've seen multiple times. It's just like, uh, Jesus, or it's like God bless Trump, like or something like that. Like Jesus praises, I don't know, really, really big sign, and there's plenty of that up there. One hundred percent. You know, it's it. You'll see that. You'll see that maybe even more than the American flag these days. Yeah,
6: definitely. What? Yeah, one hundred percent. <laughs> can, can I can I ask you both a question? Because I you know I, I think you you both are much more knowledgeable and more more in touch with what the ska scene uh, you know is and and continues to be. Yes. Do you, is there a like are there any prominent ska figures who have gone MAGA? Because <laughs> that's def, that's definitely happened with like metal. You know, there are like some metal dudes who are like, oh wow, that dude is yeah, fucking, he's just right wing now.
4: So like. So the, the the tricky one, and I don't think he's MAGA, mm-hmm. is uh, Dicky Barrett.
6: Oh yeah, that's a bummer because he's like I, I I don't know if he's more COVID skeptic. I don't know what what flavor he is exactly.
4: He's very very anti-vax. That's but what I it is. Okay. I don't actually know. I don't actually know what his politics are aside from anti-vax. I know that he's vehemently anti-vax, and I know that he's played like some of these like anti-mask festivals, and then at these festivals. You get all kinds of other weird things. Mm. So I don't know. I think that, so I don't know what his politics are. I just know, I think when you become so committed to a conspiracy, you you sort of, you like compromise on this idea, like whatever, whoever else is here, whatever. Right. I, I believe so strongly in my, my cause that, okay, there's a Holocaust denier, whatever. Like, I mean, that seems to be the case. So I don't know what he actually thinks aside from that, though.
6: Yeah. Like I've heard the the expression you uh, people go towards the love. It's kind of like, well, like, okay, where where you're welcomed, where your particular flavor of crazy is like embraced, You're going (laughs) to just go. You're just going to go towards that, you know, and it's like, yeah, naturally, you might find yourself glomming on to some people with some. uh, Hey, like anti anti mask is pretty bad, but there are certainly uh, much worse things in the world.
4: I didn't, um, weren't you guys, or wasn't Mitch getting, uh, go, trying to get Dickie on the show, like kind of right before everything came out?
6: Yeah, I think he has some connection th- to Dicky, uh, possibly through our mutual friend, you know, and, and I know some people who write for, uh, for Jimmy Kimmel, uh, and, you know, Bar- Dickie Barrett obviously was involved with Kimmel for a long time, but I, I, th- he has some connection to, to Dickie Barrett and I think we we're possibly going to get him on the show and then it reached a certain point where it's like, that eh, optics wouldn't be great right now. Mm-hmm yeah
4: so when uh when when you're when real big fish were taking off uh were you still in touch with tavis and dan like were you still friends
6: they were still in high school for like you know that they they <laughs> when this band was was starting to not when they were in mtv but i was They were two years ahead of me in school Uh i knew tavis a lot better than danny i knew danny a little bit uh tavis because he was by my, my um my my you know one of my one of my best friends in high school's older brother and because they the two of them were and remain very close like as as brothers uh and uh i so i had a lot of interaction with him and yeah they were like they you know they were a big deal like my freshman year of high school and they were like they were just like a really known quantity on the 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 local ska punk scene uh and then yeah i think i really think it was like we'd heard about their record deal, and then the record came out. I really think when they were one or two years out of high school, it might have been one year out of high school. They might have been like nineteen years old. They were they were super young.
4: Wow. So were they still kind of? Did they still kind of hang around town when they uh, had that big MT- MTV hit?
6: Were they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you know whatever. They were still playing shows, and I I saw them you know, I, I saw them in San Diego, uh, at a, at a university show. And that was like a, one of those weird things where it's like, I really got a sense of how big they'd gotten. And I was there with like Brandon and his girlfriend at the time and, uh, some other friends and the, and we were just like, we were watching from the audience, but just to see like strangers sing along to their songs and be so fucking hyped that this band that had some guys I knew in it were like, you know, we're like in front of them. I was like, this is wild stuff. This is, like I said again, it was just like my my initial connection to any sort of celebrity, and it kind of blew my mind.
4: So Tavis was in the band from '94 to 2001. Are you familiar with the story of his exit of the band?
6: Yes, I've heard his side of it, but I'm curious to what the big narrative is, or what the what the, the consider the the you know existing narrative is.
4: Okay, I'd love to hear your version of his side because I read an interview, a scrubbed interview. Mm-hmm. From Aaron Barrett, from like mid two thousands, absolute punk I think, and Aaron said that uh, he called he called him a know it all and an asshole, and said that Tavis was drunk, and Tavis thought that Aaron threw something at him, so then he took a Gatorade bottle and threw it at Aaron's nose, and then lunged at him, and then Aaron punched him in the face. And then Tavis and Aaron, Tavis quit and Aaron fired him at the same moment. And then Aaron said that he was also an awful trumpet player.
6: Uh, I mean, that's like, that feels like an unnecessary fuck you. Uh, I think (laughs) that does.
4: I think they've I think they've made amends i've yeah in you know, but I, at the time i'm I think it was you know when everything went down, so
6: I'm sure it was pretty heated, and they were a lot younger, and you know I know that there were some- whatever any musical group and we I, ha, has some sort of issues with people uh drinking and using, and that sort of stuff just can can happen and can affect things uh i i' i mean i'll basically what the what I'd heard was the the version I'd heard and I heard the punch and I heard the mutual. Uh, you can't fire me, I quit sort of thing but but all the the details of of various beverages being uh, turned into projectiles like that stuff's new to me but i I'd always kind of gotten from. Again, they, 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 if they've made up and things are uh, things are all hunky dory, God bless them. But I'd always kind of gotten more the narrative that it was that it was Aaron was kind of being an asshole and kind of being you know the, the thought he was like king shit because he was the front man.
4: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because we 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 just released an episode with uh, Scott uh, Kloppenstein, the trumpet player. That oh band. yeah.
6: That was a, when I, when, I first, when I saw him with the lineup for the first time, it kind of blew my mind because I was like, he plays trumpet and he sings. And I remember being yeah. like talking to friends afterwards, like he, he's trumpet and singer. Like it was <laughs> like, we were like, we didn't know you could do that. So
4: like they kind of got a reputation for being like really funny and like having this like kind of on stage kind of back and forth. But he was saying that in the early days that they would just get on fight. They would just fight. Oh man. And yell and like. Say you're, I quit. You know, just
6: yeah, sure, was
4: raging fire. But eventually, they kind of worked it out, and uh they kind of had they kind of worked out their chemistry on stage. But yeah,
6: did he mean the band in general, or specifically like him and Aaron, or was he? What was he? The two of them, the, the two, two of two them. them specifically. Yeah,
4: yeah. So it was just well, maybe that like gives a little insight into the early dynamics in general.
6: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, like, look, is, is there's going to be strong personalities, and any sort of creative project, that sort of shit happens. Uh, I'm sure the two of you are uh, fighting with each other all the time off the air, oh, all calling the at him, yelling at each other, <laughs> calling each other names. <laughs> um, uh, there's a I, I think that shit will happen. And I think like as people get older, they just sort of like, ah, fuck it, whatever, you know, we we're kids. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's it, it, that it's funny that you say that because, yeah, they were like a, that was part of the appeal of it for me. And of seeing Scott punk is that it was a little bit more fun and it was a little bit more like goofy and people would be like doing bits on stage and like being kind of funny and stuff. And like real big fish definitely fit into that. They kind of had, they had a really playful sort of stage dynamic, mm-hmm. not full Aquabats, but still like, just kind of like, Oh, this is, this is fun music. This is like, this is not like I'm getting, you know, this is not a, a place for people to rage, uh, like going to a hardcore show. This is like a place for uh, people to have a, have a party.
4: And so you were you were a fan of No Doubt before Tragic Kingdom came out and and they got like the big hit singles and stuff.
6: Definitely. And I think you kind of have the a little bit of like, again, I like the horn stuff and I can't I I end up coming around and really liking uh, Tragic Kingdom. But I think at first there was a little bit of like they sold out. You know, I think that was like an early (laughs) thing. It was like, what's going on? This isn't like this isn't like ska. This is some mainstream shit, you know? I definitely had that reaction
4: to uh, hearing I'm just a girl on the radio. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think it's a great album now in retrospect. You know, there's a funny little story. Um, this happened today. Uh, my wife went to the dentist and I th- for some reason she decided to like, explain what I do to her dentist. <laughs> wow.
3: And she's like, do
4: you know what Scott is? <laughs> and she's like, <laughs> the dentist goes, <laughs> isn't that uh, like early Gwen Stefani? <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and we were trying to figure out like what is she like what's early does she mean like not Hallaback girl like before Hallaback girl or does it mean like like does Hallaback girl qualify as early cuz now is is present I don't we don't even right. really know what she meant
6: or de- like or was was the dentist like aware of really early no doubt and had this, this thought of that as Gwen Stefani
4: and She's like I used to go see them in the 80s uh down
5: in southern California Yeah 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 I mean, I feel like Gwen Stefani's <laughs> been been talking a bit more about uh, her early ska roots. Like there was the the thing on some talk show where they surprised her with uh, Pauline Black coming on and talking to her.
4: Yeah, yeah, and she like broke out in tears and stuff. Yeah,
5: so it could just be that it's more in the cultural wow. zeitgeist right now that that early Gwen Stefani is ska.
6: That is really interesting. Yeah, there there was the the album because they had that album just called like No Doubt, yeah. right? Mm-hmm and it, we just had no doubt on it and that was the one that was like i don't know i listened to that I just remember it being like oh this is like the tightest like musicianship on a ska album like i real i really loved it i listened to that record a lot
4: yeah the you're talking about the red the red album right yeah it
6: was yeah it was yeah it was red with like you know blue and yellow and uh the logos on it um and uh yeah what i trying to remember the singles on that one they had like a song about a toothache they had like a um Brand New Day, I think was one of their yeah, big singles. Brand
4: new day, uh, trapped in a box. Okay,
6: yeah. And and then the thing that always this was another thing that when w- was Eric Stefani, who was like an interesting part of the early lore, and you've probably talked about this before on the show, but it's like it's that he was in the band and was like a part of their record, their their breakthrough record, and then was just like I like left the band to uh animate on the simpsons is just like so fascinating to me like what a what a what a sliding doors moment for that guy
4: yeah and he was he was really the 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 person who started the band too like gwen was the little sister that kind of got like eventually got to be one of the singers and then the singer
6: and did he write like most uh, i feel he wrote a lot of tragic kingdom
4: i don't i couldn't i some he wrote some, some of, it. of it okay um Gwen actually i think that was some of her first songwriting was on that record too got so it there was a, it was kind of a change over happening in general aside from him actually leaving got it,
6: it so he he was more of a presence on he was more of like the ska guy on on the the original album and then Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit more of a transitional phase with Tragic Kingdom. That makes sense. That kind of accounts for their their changed sound too. Anyway, like I again, I'm sure that you've talked about this before, but it's just that remains one of my most uh that that's just like such a fascinating piece of ska lore is Eric Stefani's absence from Eric Stefani, yeah, uh, from No Doubts like biggest uh, era.
4: There's um the 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 red self titled album. Um, if you ever like listen to the. Demos, or like the first version of the album that wasn't released, produced by Flea. Wow, and it's like a little funkier.
6: <laughs> I love that.
4: You just look it up on YouTube or something, yeah. it,
6: it's
4: it's fascinating to hear like the first take of the record with Flea behind the engineering
6: board. I read Flea's memoir and he did not touch on that. I'm a little bummed.
4: I'll give you one more piece of No Doubt Lore Tragic uh-huh. Kingdom. Um, the band. They wanted, as their producer, they wanted Steve Bartek from Oingo Boingo.
6: Okay, sure. And
4: the label said no. Wow. The guy they got, I can't remember his name, but it's the, uh, do you remember that song in the 80s that goes, nobody going to hold me down? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the guy that the label said, yeah, he will produce your record, (laughs) not the guy from Oingo Boingo. (laughs) That's
6: a big single. Sure. Nobody gonna hold me down. Oh no! The hell was that song? Nobody gonna break my stride. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna try. I'm trying not to to look things up while we're talking, but now I got to look up. Nobody try to gonna break my stride. What the hell is that song? It
4: didn't like Kanye cover that song. Matthew Wilder. Matthew Wilder. Yeah. I actually found an article with him interviewed because that song's got kind of a little bit of a ska bounce to it. Oh sure, yeah. And he said that he was specifically trying to uh, steer No Doubt away from their ska impulses. Mm. Hmm. So and there's so much, so much lore going on.
6: So I, I that, that, but that is interesting because No Doubt is like, oh, that was the most successful band to come out of like OC ska punk, uh, that that sure, Southern yeah. California scene, but they got there by like Root, like just really distancing themselves from their roots and i think they that that it really and, and i think you know real big fish did did well with their album uh but you know some of these uh, the, some of these bands had trouble kind of breaking through to the mainstream and their stuff just wouldn't really like play on mtv or play on like you know rock yeah, radio yeah. it just wouldn't like connect with people and i sort of reached a point where i was like i was like oh Scott punk kind of has a ceiling like I was able to view that to see that as a teenager sort of see like oh I guess there's just like this feels like this felt like it was going to be the next grunge for a certain point partly because I think we were maybe at the I, I don't know if I don't know if you call Orange County the epicenter of of ska punk but it certainly felt that way of like like uh, like because we were kind of like there is like oh this is going to be the next grunge this is going to be the next metal this is going to be the next big like you know uh, a a big thing that takes over rock radio and then it just didn't materialize I don't. I honestly don't know what you call the most successful. I mean, beyond no doubt, like who is the band that really had a lot of mainstream? Goldfinger, maybe. The biggest ska
4: punk single, the the biggest single that is recognizably ska mm-hmm. from the '90s was "Impression" that I get from Mighty Mighty
6: Posse. Oh, songs. sure, yeah, one hundred percent.
4: So and so they were kind of, they kind of had a period of six months to a year where they were like legit alt rock like stars. right
6: right right yeah remember that video video playing
4: so they were probably the biggest band but yeah the real big bands like no doubt sublime yeah not not so much they're like kind of more around skirting around the edges of ska
6: yeah sublime's another one where it's just like oh that was like such a huge band in in long beach and they were um uh yeah i i think i probably and partly they were they were played so much on k-rock k-r-o-q which was which is the la Mm -hmm. uh big la alt rock station that i thought they were bigger than they were but i guess they were actually pretty big
4: yeah they they i when the after after uh bradley died Mm -hmm. that's when
5: they got real big yeah right we'll be right back after this
4: So um, curious, what other kinds of music you like or had liked at that time, like to this day?
6: Yeah, you know, I mean, I got really into metal because of my my older brother, and I and I you know was was really into uh, really into that genre for a while. Uh, You know, into grunge uh, and alt rock at the same time as you know, kind of the ska punk era. Uh, I was into some. uh, you know, some West Coast hip hop uh, that, that played a lot in, in, in the radio where on the radio where I grew up. Uh, and then it was, I was really into like classical and jazz. You know, I pl- I, I got into hey. that stuff. So I was really like and that that's probably of the music of my youth. The stuff that I still listen to the most is, you know, uh, John Coltrane and, and Shostakovich, you know, stuff that I was exposed to as a teenager. And I still kind of uh, listen to it readily now. Not that I don't listen to. Uh, you know, Nirvana or uh, 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 or Warren G or anything. But like, I, I feel like that stuff's like a little bit more of, of a nostalgia connection as opposed to stuff that's on my regular playlist.
4: All right. So Ska Fast Food. Yes. What do you think is uh, the quintessential Ska Fast Food? Oh, man. I think there's an obvious answer, but I'm curious if you're going to say the obvious answer, or if you have a, a more... Elaborate, sophisticated answer.
6: Well, my mind went blank, so I'm definitely gonna miss the obvious <laughs> answer, whatever it is.
4: Taco Bell. Taco Bell's the obvious oh, answer. Oh,
6: sure. Okay.
5: Yeah. Every ska band has eaten like a hundred times their weight in Taco Bell on tour. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> um boy, what it what would it be? That's a good question. I, I don't know. I I, I kind of think you know I, I kinda think of like checkers and rallies first off, cause like the checkers kind of makes you think of two tone. Yeah. Um, and then also it's like the, 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 that pattern, but also like the, the, it's like kind of off brand. It's like people know what it is and there's some people really like it, but for other people like that play, the uh, checkers at rallies sucks. <laughs> like, why would you go there when there's like, there's like hardy's or mcdonald's or wendy's you know what i mean and i think that's kind of where ska punk kind of slots in it is polarizing uh it is a cilantro genre there are some people who just like think it's think it's dog shit and will never get into it and i, I i'm saying this knowing that you are defenders of ska <laughs> and i'm your ally uh but it is like <laughs> i think there has i i think yeah i think it's like it's like a second tier fast food chain mm hmm Del Taco maybe because Del Taco is like from Cal- from Southern California and a lot of people like are just uh, like Del Taco sucks.
5: That's a good take. I think. I think. I think Del Taco could definitely be the the ska fast food.
6: All right, great. Glad we solved it.
4: <laughs> problem solved. So I don't know how often you come up to Northern California uh, and dine on our our food up here, but I'm curious if you're familiar with a place in the San Jose area called Taco Bravo.
6: I've heard of Taco Bravo. I've never been to Taco Bravo.
4: You've heard of Taco Bravo? Yes,
6: I've heard Taco Bravo. I've heard Taco and Bravo in sequence and have been told it's a restaurant.
4: This is like um for us growing up in Gilroy this was our this was our spot and it's the wow. spot for all the bands everybody who played shows went to Taco Bravo cuz it was open till 3 or 3:30 I can't Three. remember which. Yeah. Some ridiculously late time. It's Taco Bell-esque except the portions are huge wow um and if you throw some tips in the jar they'll put extra 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 cheese in there the dream
5: i also i also feel like the the portions would just get larger as the night would go on because they were just trying to clear out the trays of food
6: so so are you getting like when you talk about portion are you getting like you know are you getting burritos and tacos there are you getting like like a big old plate with like beans and rice no
5: it's it's tacos and burritos
6: Okay, got it. They they would
5: have like specialty items, like a thing called a boneyard that you could only order off a secret menu menu after midnight. Wow. Um, Wasn't there, there something else there also, Aaron? I can't remember the other secret items. I just remember the boneyard. And I think the
4: boneyard was like two tortillas and then like everything. Right? Is that correct?
5: I think so. And then just like doused in sauce and you would have to eat it with a spork.
6: Wow. The boneyard. I mean, it sounds like a dare, like, yes. like the boneyard. Yeah,
4: everyone says like, don't go to Taco Bravo before midnight. You know, because you don't get the you don't get the big portions. It just doesn't make sense to go in, in daytime, right? Uh, because it's like, you know, it's not exactly uh, not super sanitary there either. You probably see somebody smoking s- cigarettes while they're mixing
6: beans. Yeah. <laughs> sure,
4: but <laughs> that's just part of it, and they're they're very rude on purpose.
6: Great. Love that sometimes.
4: They'll tell you that you're a loser
5: for being there. <laughs> yeah. They're like, why are you eating
6: here? Yeah. They, they just don't want you to bother them. They just want to get through their shift. <laughs> Minimal hassle. That's great.
4: I, did, I, I didn't actually know any of their history before this, but I did a little research since you were coming on so I can give a little history of Taco Bravo. I love it. And this is what I found. Okay. So back, so owner the owner is Dennis Woollett, and he started a restaurant in 1969 in, on El Camino Real. That's kind of just north of San Jose. It was called Tacos La Paz, and he opened 14 of these restaurants in the 70s, up and down the from the peninsula to Santa Cruz. Wow. In 1980, Taco Bell bought most of his restaurants, but he retained like a couple of them. Okay. But Taco Bell also bought the rights to tacos La Paz. Mm. So the the three or four he kept, he changed the name to Taco Bravo. Wow. And so it was reopened then in like, uh, the date I have is September 16th, 1980. And so here's the thing that's weird. The Taco there's only one left. Okay. The one is it's in Campbell. Um, Just just, you know, kind of just to the side of San Jose. It looks like an old Taco Bell, like one of those old Taco Bell buildings.
6: Oh, yeah. I know what you mean. The rounded arches and the The mission style structure. Yes.
4: There's no inside. You just order outside and then there's tables outside. Um, I could not confirm that it actually was a Taco Bell. In fact, like according to the history, it wasn't but it really looks like one. So I'm actually not sure what's going on.
5: So I think it's, I think you've got it backwards. I think it's that not that Taco Bravo looks like Taco Bells. It's that Taco Bells look like Taco Bravo because they are old Taco Bells. Oh, so they invented, I think he's the one
6: that originated this architecture. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. I buy that. What is
5: your favorite item on Taco Bravo's menu, Adam? I just, I'm real simple. I just get a Plain bean burrito with extra cheese and a large Mister Pib that used to come. They used to come in these uh, cartons, rather than it being like a soda cup with a lid. Yes, it was a carton that closed at the top with a like a clip, and then you would just poke your straw through like a hole in the side.
6: Okay, I've encountered these before, yeah. And I don't I don't remember where, but i said it's a it's a really odd setup. If anyone's ever had it, yeah, it it, it is like a. It, it i guess it's kind of like a boxed water but not exactly yeah cuz it's like you seal it it's not like a thing that was that was pre-sealed that was glued it's like they seal it yeah. there
5: they seal it with a plastic clip yeah and i had friends that used to just save the plastic clips that so they'd <laughs> just have jars full of these plastic clips just as a
6: thing yeah that's fun
5: so the weird thing is i haven't i hadn't eaten in taco at taco bravo in a long time um and then last week Mike Park from Asian Man Records got his car stolen in Oakland. Oh man. And so I gave his I gave his family a ride home and on the way home I decided to stop at Taco Bravo and get my usual order. And I had the most interesting experience of eating something that I knew was absolutely disgusting. Yes. That no that <laughs> no no person who sat down to eat this would feel good about it. So I was eating this thing knowing that it's completely gross but absolutely enjoying it. Yeah. And it's just so weird to feel that like simultaneous two different pulls at the same time. I mean the beans are this kind of gray color like the refried beans. They're real foul looking and then the cheese is like not melted, it's just shredded cheddar cheese that's like still kind of cold. <laughs>
6: Wow. Yeah, that that's and I was loving it. That sounds like my relationship with Jack in the box, which I know is absolute garbage. It's so disgusting. Yeah. And every time I eat it, I'm like, this is nasty. I'm gonna feel like shit. Like I feel gross. <laughs> like I feel like I have to eat it in my car just because that's the only place that I can kind of like yeah. bathe in the shame of the act uh, and and pri- in, in something resembling privacy. But I'm just still also having the time of my life just a pig in yeah. shit just like this and <laughs> and i feel like that is so much of I, I mean everyone has that's the thing about fast food i feel like everyone has some chain like that some place that they mm-hmm. know is not it's guilty pleasure isn't quite what the word the right way to describe it because in some ways it's not even pleasure it's like compulsion but yeah. while you're doing it you like you feel like you have to be doing it and i, I like it's like an itch that has to be scratched yeah
5: Yeah. What, what do you get at at Jack in the box? Is it the tacos?
6: The tacos are, are huge for me. I mean, I try to eat, I I, part of why I'm not, I haven't been there uh, in, in some time now uh, and go a lot lot less frequently is the stuff I like from there is stuff that's got beef in it. And I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to eat less, less red meat in general, but yeah, I I, like, I look, I loved the jumbo Jack, um, just like their classic burger. I love the ultimate cheeseburger and the bacon ultimate cheeseburger. Yeah. I love the tacos. I used to love the sourdough Jack. My wife and I have gone over how they, at some point they swapped out the actual sourdough or the, the, you know, a thing that was approximation of sourdough they used to use for a bun <laughs> that is flattened. So it's just like a gluey sort of, uh, sourdough, uh, uh, like, like simulacrum. And it's, it's a huge bummer. It's a huge downgrade. So I get that a lot less frequently, Uh, I, I, I really like their, uh, their curly fries. I mean, that's like, I think they're, they have the second best curly fries among mainstream chains after Arby's and they have a really good buttermilk house ranch, which was introduced to me by another guy I knew uh, from like a Ska fandom uh who is like like, oh we gotta go we gotta get this buttermilk house dressing from Jack in the Box. And um yeah, the first time I had it it was revelatory. So I still I still seek that out. I'm trying to think of what else. They used to have bacon cheddar potato wedges that I really liked. Uh they used to have, you know what the one of my favorite menu items, i talked about this on on Doughboys before, that they discontinued it, and it's just created a lifelong fascination with this dish. But they used to have a thing called the they their toasted raviolis, which I guess is like a <laughs> St. Louis thing. And they were like they were just deep fried raviolis with like a sweet ricotta inside, and they came with a marinara dipping sauce. And they were so good. I was like, these are just like a better version of mozzarella sticks. And then they took them off yeah. their menu, and I have missed them ever since. But yeah, there's there's a there's a ton of stuff I like from there. Also, if they've got some new, they they're always doing some weird like new munchies box or they really leaned into kind of the stoner culture. I think because they realized the only people who will actually eat this are people who are like you know, uh, either people like me who are clinically depressed or people who are just like stoned out of their minds. Um, and so they really yeah. leaned into like, hey, we got we got we got mozzarella sticks and chicken fingers and. Uh, you know, and, 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 uh, and fucking nacho cheese on a burger. And so they, they're all, I'll, I'll try those things. Those things are never quite hidden. Uh, but yeah, but they're, but they're worth a, you know, they're worth the experiment.
5: Did you ever try the jalapeno popper burger?
6: Mm, no, but <laughs> I did have, I do like their jalapeno poppers. Now that you mention it, those are actually, okay. those are, those are a great go-to side for me.
5: I lived around the corner from a Jack in the Box. for About 10 years and only ate there, only went through the drive thru to get myself food once. And it was because I saw this ad for this jalapeno popper burger. And I was sadly disappointed by it. But I I had to try it.
6: Yeah. Those, they always look better than they are in practice. Uh, But you have to try them.
5: Yeah. Everything was just too squishy. Right, right, right.
4: Do you remember when Jack in the Box, like somebody died from eating Jack in the Box in the
6: 90s? Oh, do I? Yeah, that was that was so that was just like, sorry, go on, finish your thought.
4: I just okay. maybe, you know, this information. I remember they had an, an insane deal like for like a taco. It was like three things for like 99 cents or something super low that as they were trying to rebuild their customer base in the wake of somebody dying from eating their food
6: yeah so they 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 did a whole thing you know they they did offer deep discounts i don't remember specifically what that is but i do remember that they were really for a long time and uh you know that that was i think the genesis of the two tacos for 99 cent Mm. uh which is which just kind of established like hey we are a value brand above all else uh they also like they repainted all of their restaurants they all went to they 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 Changed to like a uh, yeah, like a white exterior because it just like that seemed more like sanitary. So that was a big part of the rebrand, and that was when they introduced the Jack mascot. Who and those ads were, uh, I'm, I'm sure you remember the the those ads. But but people who aren't in ed, aren't in regions where are Jack in the Box maybe haven't seen these, but they were like you know kind of like the first like kind of self aware, kind of ironic. Uh, mascot that i that i remember being in in commercials um it was just like a dude in a suit like a man in a suit but he had like a a, a plastic clown head uh that he wore as a helmet and yeah they had these offbeat commercials that were often pretty funny um and uh and th- that was but that that all came out of the the response to their their e coli uh, thing that you know killed several kids
4: so i i didn't get to tell uh i didn't get to announce my taco bravo order. So, oh, please. I would go for the bean burrito too. Um, I always say no onions cuz if you don't say no onions, they they throw a bunch of like uncooked onions in there.
6: Gross. Mm, interesting.
4: Add sour cream. Sometimes, yeah, I think I'd say extra cheese with while doing the tip and then it would be like 60% cheese, which was amazing. <laughs> and then I would get the so then I would get the taco delight. Now, the taco delight so, eons before Taco Bell had the double decker taco, mm-hmm. Taco Bravo had the Taco Delight, which is the same thing. Wow. The crispy shell and then the soft shell on the outside. Mm-hmm. So, the, the double decker is just a pale imitation, in my opinion.
6: <laughs> I, lo- I love hearing that.
4: If you're ever in San Jose, you got to go to Taco Bravo.
6: Yeah, I feel like this is a thing I just have to experience once. Yeah.
4: And if you ha if you're able to be there late at night, that's gonna be a better experience for you. But if not, just go ahead. Just go to the just go during the daytime.
6: Yeah, I'm I'm like it's it's after nine PM Pacific as we're talking right now, and I'm like fading. So I don't know if I'm gonna make it till three AM. But uh I I think I would <laughs> I, I would definitely wanna try this place out. Uh, during normal operating hours.
4: I'm going to give it 5 forks.
6: 5 forks. Wow, what a score. 5
4: forks. 5 forks. It's, but for it's mostly problem. nostalgia.
6: Hey man, that goes a long way. <laughs> like we we're talking about earlier, sometimes you just you just need that thing. You need that specific thing.
5: Indefensive Ska will return in a moment.
2: Hey everybody, it's Barry from the What podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian and we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA plus, and they include camping.
1: Russ, how do people get qualified?
3: We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup.
1: Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks.
4: All right, so uh let's talk about your uh, your famous monster mash song the monster fuck Oh man <laughs> Leo Leo Car- Carpazzi is that the name
6: Carpazzi yeah which I was I I looked up the actual songwriter at some point and I tried to like have the character name be that but then I think it kind of got garbled either in my telling of it or in, in someone else's uh, uh hearing of it or whatever it was and so yeah it's Leo Carpazzi I think the real guy is like Leonard Leonard Capizzi or something
4: <laughs> okay so yeah. it's very similar this was originally a funnier or die skit or video i mean
6: no i actually did was doing the bit before it turned into a funnier die video and they actually was like the director of uh, Justin Donaldson had actually been like, who directed that video was like, hey, he like approached me. I was like, hey, I got some, I got a budget from Funny or Die to do this. This is before I worked at Funny or Die um, uh, for a Halloween. Would you be down? Would you be down to me do his music video? I was like, all right, sure, yeah. Uh, and I think that's like how a lot of people became aware of it. But I honestly think more people know the bit because of my appearances on Comedy Bang Bang, which maybe came first. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember the sequence. Uh, I did it. I certainly did it on. Stage at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, um, and uh, uh, wildly exceeded my expectations in terms of how it would be received. I was like, "This is like the dumbest shit in the world," and people uh, people loved it. And then I I think Scott Ackerman uh, saw it and asked me to do it. Maybe I, I definitely did it at the Comedy Bang Bang live show. Uh, the the, the uh, maybe when it was called Comedy Death Ray, I definitely did it at their their Halloween show uh, once or a couple of times, and then. Um, had me, he had me do it on the podcast, but yeah, I don't remember the exact chronology. I'm sure it's on a wiki somewhere.
4: So the, <laughs> the bit is that like, uh, the, the real, the original version was, you know, much, much better, much grittier, blah, blah, blah. You know, they tamed it down for the popular version, but it's just like, Extremely explicit. The monster fuck.
6: Yeah, I thought it was like it's kind of a one note thing of like, okay, here's the 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 joke is, hey, uh, quote unquote joke uh, is that it's like. Like, hey, I'm, uh, I like that. it was my original vision for the song, and then his original vision is just this, this really depraved, d- detailed description of a monster orgy. When it, it seems like it's being set up as like, oh, it's going to be a little scarier and have a little bit spookier monster imagery or something like that, a little bit more vicious and gory. That was at least the uh, what I was trying to do. But then, in what people liked about it, is just like the that fact that it was just so vile and disgusting. <laughs> <laughs>
4: And then the 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 comedy bang bang, the ongoing joke and comedy bang bang mm-hmm. was really funny because you would come on and say that oh you changed the song, you updated the song, and then you didn't. Yeah. And then Scott would get angry at you yes. and yell at you. <laughs> but then he would keep bringing you on and you would just keep doing the same
6: thing. It kind of it, you know, it became like a then it then the because that people like that aspect of it then that became like its own sort of cross to bear of like okay well now i guess the expectation is that i'm going to come in and do the same thing every time i lay like, hey, i i don't get it but <laughs> people people like that people like that i'm coming in and say i have something new and then it's not and it's the same thing i guess
4: so you worked uh you worked on comedy bang bang the tv show for a while right
6: that's right yes
4: so are you familiar with um scotts Scott was in a band when he was younger called The Naked Postman.
6: Okay, yes. I know about this band. I've never I don't know if I've ever heard the Naked Postman's music.
4: The legacy of them is that Adrian Young, the drummer for No Doubt, was in this band. And then then after that he joined No Doubt.
6: That's a there's that that Orange County connection, because that's where Ackerman's from. Yeah.
4: I found a few videos. I just heard them cover songs like uh some Who and some Nirvana. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I don't know if they had originals, what they sounded like. But I read this, I I read, I have no idea if this is true, but I read this on Reddit.
6: Okay. Well, that's probably true.
4: It's probably true. Got to get to the bottom. Uh Uh-huh. So at a party, this is what I read. At a party, Eric Stefani saw Scott Ackerman wearing a fishbone shirt. This is after No Doubt started. And asked Adrian, isn't that the singer of of your old band? Maybe we should get him. And Adrian said, nah. (laughs) All right, sure. So anyway, Scott Ackerman, if you're listening, please come on the podcast and let us know if this story is true or if there's any truth to the story.
6: Ackerman <laughs> <laughs> would be great on the pod. I actually don't, I've never talked to Scott about Ska, but I imagine he has some thoughts on it being from Mosey.
4: He talks about Ska on uh, Comedy Bang Bang every so often. So yeah. I know I know he's got a lot to say about Ska. And
5: Aaron really wants to talk to him. <laughs> there you
4: go. <laughs> <laughs> We're just throwing that out there. We should also talk about your other, uh, another funnier dive video you did with Jar Jar Binks.
6: Oh, sure. Yeah. Yes. Uh,
4: Gungum style. Is that how you pronounce it? Gungan? A uh,
6: Gungan style. Gung, Gung, it's Gungan like style. the, yeah, the, 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 uh, the, the species that Jar Jar is a member of are the Gungans. Oh, yeah. Yes. On Naboo.
4: Yeah, I watched. I watched the, the first fifty-seven seconds. It was funny. It was a great video.
6: Yeah. All right. Great. Then you got it.
4: Yeah. <laughs> so the video, um, silly. It's it's like a silly Jar Jar doing uh, you know Gangnam style. But then it's like the, the 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 real video is you being like super depressed about the fact that you're doing these topical videos for uh, Funny or Die, and um, yeah. Then you end your life.
6: It's great. Uh, Shortly after I made that video, I was just, it was a, I was at a Chipotle uh, and a dude came up to like a stranger came up to me and was like, oh, I thought you killed yourself. And I was like, I was like, (laughs) look at him.
4: Documentary.
6: Yeah. (laughs) No, but he like, and then he was like smiling and like laughing. I was like, oh, and was just like, oh, that was a really weird thing to say and then it was kind of like he was being playful and referencing the video that he was complimentary about but it was just a very jarring thing to hear from a stranger uh yeah that that was, a, that was a that was a video that i you know hey people i'm i'm amazed that it had the i i thought it was one that was just like oh this one's for me i'm, I'm i was glad they gave me a budget to make it and it that surprised it had more resonance than if not more virality uh than a, a a lot of the just straight topical videos i made for that website during that my tenure in that job
4: how much of the tone of that video was reflecting your feelings about making videos at Funny or Die?
6: I think it's pretty, I mean, I think it's pretty on the nose. I think it's pretty, pretty <laughs> one-to-one. I, I, it's all on the surface there, you know, like, because it, it, it kind of gets to a certain point of, you know, at the time, there was like there was college humor was doing the same sort of shit, and they they'd come out with I think Mitt Romney style around the same time, and, <laughs> and yeah, and they were like, and that video was huge for them. And then the the some of the some of the people behind Mitt Romney style, perhaps thinking that that Gungan style was a direct response to them, even though there was no way it could have timing wise it would have worked out that way but they had like reached out to me and were just like hey man i get it i feel the same way making this shit you know <laughs> it was just like we all like there <laughs> there was like the i guess a, a par- like a market demand for stuff that was uh fucking responsive to the news and no very few people have an actual passion for that you know god bless them if they do but but uh, no one really wants to do that and honestly it's one of those things where it's just like hey i'm glad kind of like These social media platforms just removed the need for that sort of stuff to be made because too way too many people's way too much people's times was wasted on stuff that could have just been a tweet. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yep. It's like Opa Mitt Romney style is like that's like that gets the same point across as like going to the trouble of actually producing that video. Yeah,
5: for sure.
4: Yeah the the parody video doesn't seem to be a major part of uh what goes viral these days
6: yeah i think it's always there's a little sweat it's always a little sweaty and i think also there is now something where i think people like to see that it's from like a creator not a corporation and so mm. it's it kind of like what what it, what used to be a having low production values used to be like a negative but now it's like that's like an asset like oh i like that it's just a person who like you know uh, 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 put a, a, a decided I'm a new character because I put a blanket over my head. You know what I mean? It's like they, they, they like things that are a little <laughs> bit more ramshackle, like one person shooting both sides of a sketch as a TikTok.
4: Yeah. So, okay. So you've had, um, I believe you've had the band pairs on, uh, one of the Doughboys, uh, live streams.
6: Uh, yeah, Pairs, uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember, I mean, we definitely had, uh, Pup did a, uh, did a song for us. Um, Pairs we've had some interactions with, uh, we've definitely used some music from, from some of the acts that are fans of ours.
4: So, yeah, Pairs are fans of you guys.
6: Yeah, we met Pairs at, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I can't speak for them, but we, but yeah, we met Pairs at our, our Philadelphia show, I believe.
4: Oh, okay. What was that like?
6: They were nice. You know, I don't I guess just musicians are just so bored on the road. I mean, you may know this. It's just like they, they end up listening to like shitty podcasts to pass the time. But it's like I'm a, there are a, a number of touring musicians who uh, were are end up listening to our podcast for whatever reason. I, I've, I've talked to some people like some people I know is like, I don't get why you listen to this. And it's it tends to come down to I have a long commute. And so I think that's the thing of like, you're on a tour <laughs> bus all the time. You just have a lot of time to kill. And there's only so much stuff you can do. There's only so much Nintendo switch you can play only so many movies you can watch on your iPad at a certain point. You just like, oh, I'll just listen to a podcast.
4: So the pairs guitarist, Brian, uh, do you know his last name, Adam? Uh, Preetus. Yes. So he also plays in a ska band called bad operation. Wow. That's cool. i assume you haven't
5: heard of bad operation
4: no i'm
6: not familiar with bad operation i'll check them out okay check them out yeah they're good they're really good oh that's right
5: they do land on the side of of putting horns more in the back though so
4: Mm, okay (laughs) they're organ organ driven
5: they're a little more organ driven their horn player also plays
6: organ oh that's cool okay i'm back in
4: all right but the pup yeah i want to talk about the pup appearance because i watched that as well um they uh they played their song reservoir but they changed the lyrics to restaurant that's right and made the song about food
6: so okay so I'll, I'll i'll i can i can just give background for this which was we were doing this we we do, we're doing a live stream show this was during um you know a, a deep quarantine when there weren't really live performances going on and we just dm them and we're like cuz we knew they listened to the show or at least we were familiar with the show and we're just like, hey, would you be down to do a, uh, a, 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 to you know maybe pop in, do a song or something, you know, for this live stream show? Uh, and they were just like, sure. And then we like heard nothing from them for like a while, and I just was sort of like, okay, well they were being polite by responding, um, and but in the initial ask, I told them like you know what the date was or whatever when we were doing it, and then like the day before the show, uh, they're like, oh, here you go. And they'd like recorded a new, new song and like made a video for like this thing. Re- like they'd gone to so much more trouble than what we we're asking, which was just like, hey, you know, would you like to play something? And they're like, no, we'll do like a parody version of our own song and put it together for you and have it uh, for the live stream. Uh, so like they, yeah, they really went above and beyond and completely surprised us with it. And then uh, we were like, um, Mitch and I were, were like, we we're beforehand, we we're like, I, right, you know, I, uh, I guess we'll just put it we'll just throw to it in the show like i don't know what context to give this and we didn't know how people were going to respond and then like it was like people's favorite part of the show uh and uh yeah they, that that was that was rad i just remember the the root beer flow like the, <laughs> <laughs> it was great god bless them
4: it was great because like they they played the song with the same kind of emotion and you know inflection that they played their song normally yeah and so you would have to listen to the listen to the lyrics to know that it was fully changed.
6: Yeah, one hundred percent. And then I'm also like, how often does a band Weird Al themselves? Like that's maybe yeah. unprecedented. <laughs> it is. Yeah.
4: And so um, I noticed that Mitch was in uh, their video for Matilda, and I think that was after this, right?
6: Yeah, they they'd reached out and asked him, and he was like, you know, he he's great in that video.
4: Yeah. So th- so that that was just like an invite for that for him. They said, "Hey, we want you in this video."
6: Uh, you'd have to ask him expe- specifically how it came about, but it's like yeah, I I do believe it was pretty it was pretty straightforward of like, "Hey, we're we're doing this thing. We'd love for you to be in it." And he was like, "Yeah, I'm down." Or maybe uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear though that he like auditioned and had a call back and they're like, mm, "I think he's the guy." But I I think it was a lot less <laughs> formal than that.
4: All right, so circling back to ska i know ska comes up on the show occasionally um when when's the last time you've uh, listened to ska
6: like just put on a ska record oh man i can't remember the last time i've listened to like a a ska album all right i i I think i think like i'll hear a ska song like playing you know on the radio or just on spotify or something but i I don't think i actively will will seek it out honestly Uh, Hmm. it's been a while you
4: hear like a song on the radio or Spotify. Does it give you like a good nostalgia feeling, or is it kind of like a oh, that's what I used to like. I'm I'm over that now.
6: No, I think you always like that. I, I think I think you always have a little bit of a connection to music that hit you when you were wh- whether you listen to it regularly or not. Music that hit you kind of in your formative years. I feel like that's like so much of what people like is just stuff they heard in their teens, you know. And um and and, and it definitely is 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 part of the musical landscape of. Uh, when I was in middle school and when I was high school. So like, yeah, when I hear it, I, I definitely always have a connection to it. You know, I think about skanking a little bit. Why not? Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and you're, you were, you were kind of saying you don't really go to shows anymore.
6: No, I can't do it. They're too late and too loud. Too I can't stand that long. I just like every part of it is just, it, it's tough for me. I, I don't think I've been to like a music show uh, in, 10 plus years you know wow. and maybe longer I mean like I I, I will go see like a will go see like a jazz combo I'll sit down and watch like a jazz band uh, but mm-hmm. anything where I've got to like stand and it's like you know loudly amplified it's just too much for me
5: so I, I've seen your friend Jordan Morris at two SoCal ska shows in the last year
6: that's cool as hell
5: if he if he invited you to a show would you go with him <laughs>
6: It depends. I mean, it depends on where it was. <laughs> Honestly, like, like, hey, I love Jordan. It's just like so much of it, it, that, that. You ask that question, the abstract. I, I just need, I need more details. If it's yeah. late, probably okay. no. Uh, if it's like a daytime show, uh, and it's you know either indoors or it's outdoors when the weather is nice, and I know there'll be lots of shading. Um, and there's mm-hmm. not like a bunch of bands playing. I can just kind of get in and out, you know, I, I might be down for that. I don't know. It just depends. What, right.
5: what What's a, what's a good curfew for a show? Like 10 o'clock. Is that too late?
6: Yeah, it's pretty late. I'd love yeah, to be out okay. of there by like seven thirty. Wow.
5: Yeah. That's early.
6: It's, uh, I went to see, I'm actually, remembering, cause I say I, I didn't see music, uh, shows in forever, but it's like, it's, uh, that's actually not true. I did go to the Hollywood bowl for two like event shows in the past decade. One, I went and saw Jimmy Buffett, um, which was terrifying. Um, Just, like, the (laughs) fucking scariest, like, drunk boomer fan. So I thought we were going to, like, fucking take a swing at me. And then the, uh, for blocking their view for a half second. And then, uh, and then I saw Dave Matthews, uh, DMB, which is my co-host, Mitch, one of his favorite bands. And, um, and yeah, that, I mean, it was, it it was good. It was just, like, this was too late. And getting out of there sucked.
4: All right. Well I guess, you know, Jordan, if you're listening, take your shot. Shoot your shot.
6: Yeah, just give me send me the details, you know. If you're gonna send me a text with a lot of, you know, give me give me as much context as possible and I'll let you know. I won't leave you hanging.
5: What's the correct number of bands for a show?
6: I mean I'd say one, <laughs> but I know it's pro it has to be at least two, so I'll say two because there's always an opener. Sure. Yeah.
5: I mean, I'm I'm with like no more than three. Like, Three's I like, a lot. I like one or two. Yeah. It
6: a lot. I used to, I mean, like, I I wanted to go see, like, metal shows and stuff, and they'd be, like, four. It'd be, like, you know, uh, like, like, it'd be, like, uh, uh, Rob Halford's Fight opening for, like, Suicidal Tendencies, which then opened for, like, Alice in Chains, which then, you know, led into, like, the main. It was like, I was like, oh, man, I can't watch, like, four fucking bands anymore. It's way too much. Yeah.
5: Well, think about those like high school ska shows. They're like eight
6: bands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and those are some of the bills I was on. And then also, like, yes, I would go to those shows, and I would like have the time of my life. But it's also like I was in a different place. I could. Yes. I didn't. I wasn't as worried about there being like a clean bathroom. You know, I wasn't gonna. I'm not someone who's gonna like. I I I wouldn't like get lightheaded if I didn't have a proper meal every few hours. Um, Yeah i I wouldn't like lose consciousness if I stood for too long or I got dehydrated or overheated. you know it's like I got all sorts of shit to worry about as a dude in his fucking forties
4: all right well you know it'll it'll happen one of these days <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah I'll get, look I'm open I'm open to it. I might do it. I'd love to see Lydia Tarr if it, Lydia Tarr ever conducts anywhere live. I'll go see that. Can we get Lydia Tarr to conduct the L.A. Phil? I'll go to Disney Music. <laughs> yeah, let's that. go, Lydia. Come on, Lydia. <laughs> let's do this. Uncancel Lydia Tar.
5: Thank you for listening to In Defense of Ska. To support the show and hear more, please sign up for our Patreon. Intro and outro music by Slow Gherkin from the EP Lives. Download it on Bandcamp. Please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend. Follow at InDefense of Ska on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. The book Indefensive of Ska by Aaron Carnes is available from Clash Books. Order it online. Chris Reeves of Ska Punk International is our editor. This is your co-host, Adam Davis of Omnagon, leaving you by saying Ska now more than ever. All that talk about Taco Bravo. Mm. maybe i mean it's only nine it's almost ten you want to go to bravo after this
4: yeah let's do it
5: okay um
4: i actually i want to tell you another chain restaurant that i'm a fan of a more recent this is a more recent one and that's jersey mike what's that do you ever have some jersey mike sandwiches
5: oh I have I have not had Jersey Mike.
4: It's good. You got to get it, uh, Mike's way. That's
5: where they put on some oregano and some uh, like tons and tons of oil and vinegar. Definitely got to try that. But hey, listener, this conversation doesn't have to end here. No. There's more on our Patreon. Over on the Patreon, we talk podcast talk because we had a
4: podcast person on.
5: Yeah. Pay
4: five bucks and give it a listen.
5: Yeah. Tune in next week. Yes. We'll see you then.